Welcome. You're listening to a Mr. Thrive Media Production. Nathan Shapiro. I went for a Jack Black intro there. Nathan Shapiro is our first heavy metal singer. And wow, does he blow it out of the water. Not only does he have experience in the world of rock and roll, but he also has a wide talent in acting and performing. All to say, Nathan is quite the entertainer, and one thing that I find so fascinating is that there is a certain unique comfort that comes with the chaos, hence the title of this episode. I am pumped for you to hear his song, March of the Tyrant, and much more. Also, we have rebranded the Mr. Thrive Network. We are now the artist's upsurge. In the creative industry, it's not what you know, it's who you know. We'll get you to who. Our next event is our Black History Month event, celebrating African-American contributions to the arts and entertainment world. It'll be on February 22nd at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Be sure to set your calendars. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. You have stumbled upon the Mr. Thrive podcast, where together we discover emerging artists. Metal singer Nathan Shapiro, also known as Knox Sinister. Nathan, welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good to be here. I'm thrilled that you're here as well. I want to say that it honestly is a privilege to have you on the show uh, for a few reasons. One, I got to see you in concert. Uh, <laughs> I saw you perform with the Whiskey at Go-Go. You know, not to be taken lightly at all. What a huge triumph that is. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. And just for those who might not be, you know, in the culture of rock, can you explain like what the can you explain what the significance of the whiskey go go is? So the whiskey's been around for uh for decades. It's been the spot where a lot of uh very uh, very famous uh rock and uh metal acts have performed. Molly Crew made their name uh made their name there back in the eighties. They were they were there all the time just tearing shit up, causing trouble, you know, just being general menaces to society. But, uh, you know, other, uh, other very, uh, very famous musicians have played there. Uh, System of a Down uh, played there a lot in the 90s. Uh, and I've seen a lot of my favorite artists there as well. Like, uh, I think the last, uh, the last show I saw before the pandemic, I, I saw Death Angel and Ex Mortis there and they were, they were, they were fucking fantastic. But the Sunset Strip is, uh, in, in general, where the, where the whiskey is located is a very, very significant location for uh, rock and uh, metal acts. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've been down the Sunset Strip before. I used to work there. Uh, I used to work, you know, Dave and Buster's was off. Oh, I guess that's not the Sunset Strip. That's Vine and Hollywood. But it, yeah. it's it's near there. And so because of that, I, I was I got very familiar with that with that culture and just seeing how much significance is there with with all the different hole in the wall kind of shots that they have and the, and the restaurants, oh, yeah. but also the venues. Uh, and that's also where the, where the comedy store is. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. 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 It's kind of a big deal for sure. Well, listen, my man, before any episode starts, we always do a trivia warm up. This is the season three trivia warm up. Are you feeling ready for this? Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Okay. Amazing. Now, here's the thing. This is the audience knows this pretty well by now. So I'm going to explain to you what we do on this show. I, we did our pre interview session. I got your right. information down as like your life story and whatnot. But the reason why I did that as well is to see what is like a special interest. What is something that you love and are, are, are totally, you know, enthralled with? And so naturally, I found trivia in the category um, of okay. Shakespeare. Oh, uh, okay. You ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Because here's the thing. Nathan loves Shakespeare. So question one. What is Shakespeare's shortest play? Is it A, Mary Wives of Windsor? B, Comedy of Errors, 
C, Julius Caesar, or D, Hamlet? It's not Hamlet because that play is almost four hours long. Actually, I think it is four hours long if you adapt all of it. It's definitely not Caesar. I've seen Caesar. Um, I It's between Merry Wives and Comedy of Errors, but I think I'm going to go with Comedy of Errors. Correct. Well done. So I actually have the fun fact written here, the fact that Hamlet is actually Shakespeare's longest play with a total of 4,000 lines. So Mm -hmm. from what you just said, it's four hours long. That's 1,000 lines per hour, which is kind of crazy. Another fun fun fact is that, you know, Mr. Thrive and how I always say Thrive, and that's the name of this podcast after all. My company is Mr. Thrive Media. Well, that actually comes from the Merry Wives of Windsor. Uh, That was my first play ever, and I played Bardolph. So, and that's his first line in the play, which is, it is a life that I have desired. I will thrive. And Uh, it's a fantastic line. And I've taken that to heart. And that's what my business is built off of is that one quote by this rather insignificant character from the Merry Wives of Windsor. Well, I mean, that's the great, that's the great thing about Shakespeare. It's just that like so much of, you know, so much of the English language, so much of what we say, like comes from things that he's written. That's why, uh, that's why I think he's so fantastic. Question two, what type of play is Romeo and Juliet? Is it A, a romance, B, thriller, C, tragedy, or D, comedy? It's a, it's a tragedy. Correct. You're killing us. I feel like my, my, my trivia might have been a little too easy so far, but well done. It's true. It's a tragedy. I was really hoping you would go quick into romance, but I'll get it no, next time. No, no. I, I, that, like there, there's in Shakespeare, there are three, there are three, uh, there are three pillars. It's the, the comedies, the tragedies and the histories. Um, so it, the play is typically one of those three. Question three, what book collected all of Shakespeare's plays into one medium? Is it A, Shakespeare's works first edition, B, Knock Sinister, C, All of the Worlds of Shakespeare, or D, The First Portfolio? It's, it's, the, it's the complete works of Shakespeare uh, first edition. They call that the first folio, though. Uh, incorrect. It is the first portfolio. It's, it's folio. Oh, you're right. Oh, I I wrote it incorrectly. Okay. Well, okay. A was wrong. So, okay. I goofed that up a little bit. I'm not going to edit. I'm not going to edit this part out because I'm imperfect. That's if you, if you had said the first folio, then that's what I would have said. The intended correct answer was the first folio. So now I should have known that I'm kind of embarrassed right now. I should have known that because here's the thing. There were, in high school, in my senior year, there was a there was a hi-fi assignment, right? The historical figure assignment, right? Yeah. Uh, well, my figure, I chose Henry Condell because I was a theater kid. Henry Condell was the guy who put together all of Shakespeare's works. So, um, oh, I goofed that up. He created the first folio, and I, I just wrote it down incorrectly. And then when I read it out loud, man, see, guys, it's okay to be a human being. It's okay to admit your mistakes. I'm admitting my mistakes to the hundreds of people that are listening to this right now. So, oops. Um, lesson learned. Oh, well. All good. It happens. So, okay. That's embarrassing. The first folio by Henry Condell. So, um, now, now let, let's, let's kind of sidetrack from that embarrassing moment in my life. Okay. And let's talk about the, the better parts of your life. So, you are a heavy metal singer. Yeah. Okay, does that hurt your throat? 
I think that's just the first question everyone thinks of when they when they hear that. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's typically the first question I get from people. Um, if you train yourself correctly, then no, it does not. Um, after a while, it can wear on your throat, but typically, um, metal singers, uh, myself included, usually find a way to um, uh, find a way to train their voice so that it doesn't hurt, and it, it basically just all comes from it all comes from the gut, at least uh, at least for me. So when I um, the way that I do it is that it like it you know it comes from it comes from my stomach, and then I kind of just pass it upward, but basically while it's in transit to like to to my throat i kind of just constrict my throat a little bit so that it's so that it sounds you know more aggressive more more raspy when it's coming out uh now some of the some of the some of the the screams and stuff i will that the, the weird thing is is that i don't really like i don't do a lot of i don't do a lot of screaming the the first thing i'd like to dispel is that like a lot of people have this idea that a lot of metal is uh, screaming and that's 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 simply not true now there are types of there are subgenres of metal that do involve a lot of screaming death metal black metal and then like people think that screamo is a type of metal it's not uh just want to clear that up real real quick um but uh no uh, i was i was a i was a choir singer in high school so i was i guess uh, classically trained and uh, sometimes my throat gets a little worn, but that would come from just anyone singing anything for an extended period of time. So sometimes I'll need a little water between songs, but it's not, uh, it's not something that significantly hurts my throat. Right. Right. And you, you know, you just brought up water. I was just thinking to myself, I imagine tea would also be really good for yes. this, for this, yes. uh, for this art, as, as you can imagine. Hey, you dispelled a myth uh, in my mind, which is that, uh, heavy metal is all, is all screaming now. I realize that that's why there's heavy metal and then there's screamo, right? Yeah, screamo is its own screaming. It's its own subgenre. Yeah, it's its own thing. Right. I, I don't. I don't consider it metal. I don't. I don't particularly listen to it either. And what genre is Knock Sinister? Would you say Knock Sinister is kind of a weird hybrid of thrash metal and traditional heavy metal. Uh, so the a lot of the a lot of the instrumentations are, you know, have the complexity of like traditional or like, uh, you know, new kind of like taking inspiration from a uh, new wave of British heavy metal. But I guess you could say that we're, um, uh, you could, you could also call us a thrash metal band because some of our songs, uh, do have the traditional thrash styling songs, like songs like Spite, songs like Forgetting the Light. Those are very thrashy. Whereas something like, uh, whereas something like March of the Tyrant or something wicked falls very much into the more like traditional, uh, heavy metal, uh, category. Got it. So we, sure. we like to, we like to vary it up. So, I mean, we basically, we just say that we're, we just say that we're just heavy metal, plain and simple, because that is a, that that's a, that's a fair classification, you know, bands like, Black Sabbath would you would just say they're heavy metal bands like Judas Priest they're just heavy metal Iron Maiden um, Saxon accepts uh, you know all that stuff totally totally now I do have a question for you I, I said something that I think you were very nice to me about but I I could very well be embarrassing myself on, on the mic here when I say this so you were very nice to me when I said it's you in person I have to ask you um, is your sound as similar to disturbed as I give you credit for my vocal style is our music in general. Probably not. Right. Um, I think the, I think the vocal style I hear it the most is, is, is that I love it. 
Yeah. He, the funny thing was, is that like, well, I, it's like, I don't even listen to that much Disturbed anymore, but I was a big fan of them in high school. And I mean, I still do. I, I still do. I love David Draymond's voice. I think he's got a, I think he's got a very unique voice. Um, but uh, Disturbed's uh, general style of music is what, uh, is what people call alternative metal. Some people would call it new metal, but I, I wouldn't lump it into new metal. New metal is like, New metal is like more corn, Limp Bizkit, stuff like that. But uh, I would say Disturbed is more alternative metal. But our sound is uh, – my vocal style is very similar to David Draymond. In fact, it was like while I was – I was I was actually just like jamming to some Disturbed for, for old time's sake. It came, on in my, it came on in my shuffle while I was driving to my car and I was singing to it. And then I kind of discovered that what I was doing to my voice to sing like him, I kind of liked – how it felt i liked how it sounded i liked how it came out so i was like oh okay maybe this is what i'll try maybe this is what i'll try with my own music so uh yeah a lot of people have told me that i sound like david draymond and i take it as a compliment because i think he's i think he's a great singer but um our sound is very is very far away from alternative metal though i do have I, i do have a massive amount of respect for disturbed uh they are not um they're not one of our uh, informa- uh, like uh, inspirations sonically, but vocally, I, I would I, I would say that uh, it's fair to kind of compare me to him. It's it's honestly an honor. Yeah. Well, enough talking about it. Let's actually listen to a song. Sword we march for glory 
back dude it's such a good sound i love it Thank like you. like it feels like you're kind of marching an army into into battle with that song like i i feel like i'm part of your army i felt like a part of your army at whiskey a go-go so it was pretty it was pretty sick i gotta say thank you i appreciate that that's honestly that was that was sort of the idea behind the song was i wanted to create like i wanted to create an anthem i wanted to create a march something that 
something that you would lead an army to war to like that's the the funny thing the funny thing was is that like with that song i always kind of wanted when i listen to music i want something that's going to make me feel uh, like a big part of my day in like both in high school and in college was like my walks to class when i would just they would just be me and a pair of headphones and i was just listening to music i liked stuff that made me feel confident that made me walk with a certain you know with a certain you know yeah, exactly. And so like the songs and the songs that were typically about like, you know, that it's typical in a lot of power metal to write songs about like, you know, going forth and like conquering your enemies and all that stuff. So, I mean, well, I, I guess in terms of style, like our themes are also very uh, power metal sometimes. Um, not as much style. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of like power metal influence in our style, but um especially mainly lyrically. But when I wrote that song, I was just like, I want a song to conquer the world to i want a song that i can raise an army to and when we play that song i want people to feel like they're part of that army and, um, and as a witness I'm, i was a part of it you you came up in front of everybody on that stage with a flag that said not <laughs> sinister and all we were missing was an enemy to march to that's all we were missing <laughs> that, 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 that's like that that's the thing the way that i the way that i see it is the Sometimes I feel like I was, uh, sometimes I would feel like I was born in the wrong century where maybe I should have been born in a century where I could have been like some kind of barbarian king or whatever. But the closest thing to that in the modern day is, is being in a metal band. So we wanted to, we wanted to sort of evoke that feeling and, you know, being up on stage, being like being with the band. And as you said, waving the flag around, that's like, to me, that's the modern day equivalent to being, you know, a conquering barbarian and leading an army into war. Nah, that's pretty um, sick. No, that's that's awesome. So, where does that where does that feeling of wanting to be a barbarian come from, though? I mean, that, that's such an interesting concept to dig deep into. I'm going to be your therapist for a little bit here. No, no, of course. Um, honestly, uh, I'm not sure. I here's the thing: is I feel that like I feel I feel like that is I feel like it's in everyone, and I feel like some people just don't. Uh, maybe either aren't as in tune with it or aren't as connected to it. But honestly, I think, uh, you know, everyone has a, everyone has a desire for power. And I guess that's, I guess that's how my desire for power manifests. So I'm, you know, very attracted to the idea of, to the idea of power, to the idea of control. What, what really, what, like really what anyone's desire for power is, is, is a desire for control. Every human has, Every human has the the need for control, the wanting to con- the wanting to control. Typically, a desire for power comes from feeling. Um, I guess it comes from feeling like you're re- like inadequately receiving something from the world. So usually, the people who want power feel like they are deprived of something uh, from the world. And I guess. Um, I guess my desire, I guess my desire for conquest and my desire for power comes from, uh, I mean, I wasn't really, uh, I, I guess I, I, I like, if you, you said you're going to be my therapist and this is, this is like, this is what I tell my therapist. It's just like, I had a, I, I had a pretty rough childhood. I, I feel like I wasn't, I feel like I wasn't accepted by the world. I felt like I was always ostracized from my peers and that I didn't really feel like I was, I didn't feel like I was a part of the world around me. So I guess that's where 
that's where my that's where my drive for power comes from. Now, if for for everyone it's different, but I, I guess you could say that deep down, that's that's sort of where mine comes from. But also, but main, like mainly the desire to the desire for the desire for to be I, I guess to be a barbarian or whatever. But it's uh, it's the adrenaline. Plain and simple, it's uh, plain and simple. It's the adrenaline, and I'm, I'm addicted to that feeling. The feeling of being on stage. The feeling of one of my favorite parts of the set is the end of March of the Tyrant, where the uh, where the battle chant comes in, and where you have those where you have those gang vocals, where I'm raising the flag and where I'm you know pumping my fist in the air, chanting, and then the audience is chanting with me. Yeah, yeah, it's like, interactive. Ide- ideally, it's it's there is a there is a power in that, and from power comes adrenaline and i guess you know humans are humans are adrenaline junkies and i guess i i guess i i guess i'm one too so i'm i guess the desire for that feeling just comes from it's just plain and simple the short answer is that it is the greatest rush of adrenaline that that i that you could ever feel and i can i can relate to that that feeling of what you're talking about from your childhood i, I would say that my childhood was actually pretty good but when you were describing uh, walking to class uh, with a certain pep in your step, listening to music, I would say in high school I was that kid. I would listen to a lot of Eminem. Eminem was my was my yeah. uh, was my adrenaline uh, core, you know. And Lincoln Park as well. I, I guess like had that that angsty teen thing going for me. Maybe I was a little too addicted to that persona, but you know, I I would very much get into the mindset of like, yeah, whatever Eminem says is gold. And I'm just going to follow it because I feel every word that he spits when he raps, you know, and um, Lincoln Park, I felt that. And that's why it was so uh, painful for me to find out when Chester Bennington committed suicide. That was 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 a really tough day. I I was um, in the middle of my travels in Europe and I was we had just settled into our place in Venice when I had gotten that notification. Uh, Chester Bennington had committed suicide and I was... You know, it was a weird. It was a weird blend of emotions because on one hand you're on the high of life, traveling. And on the other hand, there's something from home so grounding uh, that it kind of puts you back into reality a little bit. Yeah, and everything yeah, around I, you suddenly becomes very insignificant compared to what you just read on your phone. Yeah, it's 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 rough. I felt the same way when uh, Mike Howe of Metal Church died recently. He was a he was a great singer. I saw Metal Church my my freshman year of college actually. And uh, I remember being just blown away by their set. And I met, I met Mike, I, I've got a picture with him, but like I was, I remember feeling devastated when he died. It's, you know, it's rough. And then like, uh, when Lemmy of Motorhead died back in, uh, I think it was, it was 2015. I was, I was a senior in high school. It was just, it was devastating for the metal community because he had lived for so long. We honestly thought he was going to outlive us all because he did every drug ever except for he didn't do heroin that's the funny thing is that he did he did he did pretty much everything but heroin um because he's because he saw heroin kill so many of his friends he saw heroin kill hendrix and so he never did it but like you know coke speed all that stuff you know that was that was that was fair game for him but like he had lived so long and uh we were just you know we were devastated by uh by when let me die that was it was it was pretty rough yeah i can imagine i can imagine Hey folks, we're going to take a quick break. And before we do that, I want to emphasize the fact that because of this pandemic, Mr. Thrive Media realized that we need to do a better job at supporting small business wherever we can. So enjoy. Hey Thrivers, do you hear a certain difference in quality? That's because this podcast quality is made possible by Squadcast. Virtual recordings have become easier than ever with Squadcast Studio Quality SaaS Remote Recording Platform. 
This cloud-based technology secures your files and minimizes post-production for all podcast producers. And I should know because I am one. Heighten the experience of your podcast by clicking the link in the show notes below. This podcast is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Mr. Thrive Media builds communities through its content marketing and networking events. During this pandemic, our dedicated team commits to the value of connection by producing podcast content while extending a helping hand towards artists and entertainment professionals. Mr. Thrive Media puts its values first by supporting small businesses and empowering emerging artists. For more information, visit www.mrthrive.com. That's mrthrive.com. You know, I, you brought up something I wasn't expecting to talk about, but but let's talk about it. You kind of opened up a, a thought in my mind, you know. Yeah. What What is your view on the relationship between the music industry and drugs? And, and what part do you play in that? It is almost symbiotic is the thing. Um, what I've discovered is that once you're, once you're, in the once you're in the world it's just it, it's a lot of the the just the access is is easier um the the thing is is that uh well i mean i actually don't i actually don't smoke weed anymore uh because i know that i have i know that it affects it affects my brain uh, a certain way and it's not it's not it's not healthy for me so you know, a lot of the times, you know, drug fueled drug fueled adventures are just part of the, uh, you know, are part of the celebration or hell. Sometimes even part of the creative process. Like I know Motley Crue did pretty much every drug under the sun, and it fueled a lot of you know fueled a lot of their music. Nikki Six was addicted to heroin for a while. That was a you know that was a whole thing. Lemmy did every drug under the sun. Black Sabbath, they were on pretty much everything. A lot of bands had a Coke budget for, for hell's sake. I mean, you know, I mean, when you, and when you enter that world, it's kind of just something that you got to accept. I, the way that I see it is just like, I am very much, I'm very much in the camp of indulgence over abstinence, but I think that with that indulgence, you have to be smart, at least know what you're taking, know how much you're taking and know how, know how what you're taking affects you so i mean it's like i mean like i'm not gonna bullshit you i like mushrooms i think mushrooms are mushrooms are great i've had i've had a lot of i've had a lot of good mushroom trips with you know with my friends and you know music music tends to be part of those trips what we'll do is like uh one of my one of my best trips like uh some of my friends uh visited me while i was uh while i was living in eugene we went by the river we made a playlist we did mushrooms and just like talked about life talked about music but uh you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of knowing what you're in, in terms of knowing your poison, just like that's, that's my thing with weed. It's just that, you know, people say it's, people say it's not addictive and like, it may not be chemically addictive, but it's habit forming. And so, and so I've, so I, it basically, it basically ruined my life for a little bit. And I mean, understandably so, cause like I was in the middle of a pandemic, I didn't have a job. I was living in a, I was living in my old college town. Things were slowing down for me. So unfortunately, um, you know, the situation of the pandemic, it, it really brought me down because I was, uh, I was, I was on a high before, before everything shut down, you know, I was in my senior year of college. I was 
surrounded by a great community. I had a, I had a lot of great projects up in the air. You know, I was I was set to play Claudius and Hamlet, which has long been a dream of mine. I, I, you know, playing Shakespeare's villains is one of the greatest honors that I could have, you know, that I could have ha- had. But um, did, did you say Shakespeare? I, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, to cope with all this loss that I had in my life, you know, uh, weed was very, uh, it was very accessible. It was very cheap in Oregon, you know, and um, I was also dealing with, I was also dealing with a lot of physical pain. Uh, so I had like a, I had like a jaw issue. And so, you know, that's part of the, it's part of the reason why I kind of fell into it. But um, it's was it was a detriment because i was using it to cope with all kinds of pain and then unfortunately it blocked me from appreciating the things and the people that that i did have in my life and you know these are things that i this is a mistake that i carry with me it's something that i regret uh but you know there was a moment where i was um you know they you know they say they say sex drugs and rock and roll and i've sort of you know, I've removed, like, I've removed a bit of, a bit of drugs from, from the equation. Um, since I, I came to this realization, I was like, why am I not happy? When was the last time in my life where I could say that I was truly happy? And then I thought about it and I realized that it was a point where I wasn't smoking weed. Uh, because at that point I had realized that too much of it, copious amounts of it and too routinely, it affected uh, it affected my depression and worsened depressive syndrome uh, symptoms. So then and there, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do this anymore. If I ever if I ever come back to it, it'll be at a point where my life is what I want it to be, where I'm comfortable knowing how much I can do. Maybe special occasions only, weekends only, socially only, because. You know, when I was when I was living in Oregon, I was basically waiting for five o'clock every day uh, to just get uh, to just get high. And that ruins just, you know, it ruined my attitude. It ruined my work ethic. It ruined uh, it ruined my relationship at the time. Um, So that's sort of what my relation is to drugs and music now now has have drugs uh, helped me creatively with the music of course i remember one time one of the songs on our new record uh the warlock i watched this movie mandy uh which is the greatest movie of all time uh if you haven't seen it i, I highly recommend it but you know i was i was kind of stoned and then after the movie i was kind of just in a, a little bit of a haze i locked myself in my room i turned one red light on and I wrote all the lyrics to the song and, you know, did that help? Of course, you know, and I'm grateful that, you know, but I just, I, I just choose not to rely on, uh, I tr- choose not to rely on it as much these days, but you know, other, like other drugs, I'll, I'll indulge every now and then. But again, it's about, it's about knowing your limits. It's about knowing your poison. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess that makes sense. Do you think that it's possible to live in a world where sex, drugs and rock and roll can, exist together and still provide you a happy life oh of course of course i mean and, and i yeah, suppose no. you could say well yeah drugs like uh coffee enjoy your caffeine but like you know <laughs> like a, you know like i mean like i mean like how like, like how does that all mix together where you can have a happy life fulfilling it's just about knowing how much it's just about knowing how much you can take because i mean you know sex drugs and rock and roll that's all, i would say that's all part of like you know it, it, you know, it, it makes, it makes me happy, of course, but I think it's about knowing, I, I think it's about knowing how much you can take 
how much is manageable and how much is sustainable because there are times in my life where I've, you know, where I've gone overboard with it and I realized, whoa, okay, this isn't sustainable. I've got to slow down. And more recently in my life, it's like, you know, I don't believe in just like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't believe in, well, sometimes I, you know, sometimes I think you do need to make hard decisions and just cut something out. But, you know, with, you know, with a, with, I guess, a, a rock and roll lifestyle, I don't want to sound pretentious or anything, but you know, it does make me happy to, it does make me happy to, to a degree. So with me, it's about knowing, okay, how much of this makes me happy and how much of this is sustainable to make me happy. What's the level that I can have, what's the level to which I can have it that, that keeps me happy. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I, one thing I'm kind of picking up on is there's a very unique balance where you go into it knowing that there's a risk. Yeah. No, certainly. How how aware were you of that risk when you started doing heavy metal? Um, so I started. I had my first band in high school, and at that point, it was kind of just it was kind of just fun and games. I didn't really, uh, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really think too much about it. It was a hobby, but I wanted to turn I wanted to turn it into a into a professional thing. You know, I, I pushed to get our first demo recorded. I pushed to get us gigs. You know, at the at, at the whiskey when we were uh, when we were first starting out, but that band fell apart for one reason or the other. Um, but when I started Sinister, it was kind of like when I started Sinister, it was kind of a side project. It was I, I wasn't I wasn't playing live. I was just recording with like one or two other people. When when we came out with our first EP we had the intention of playing live and turning it into more of a, into more of an entity, into, into a, into a stronger, into a a stronger presence. So when that started happening and especially when this album started coming out and when uh, this past year, when I was, you know, really fixated on the idea of making Sinister a thing, when I was really dedicated to making this, to making this my life, I was, I was aware, I was aware of the risk because you can lose yourself easily. And I mean, I've, I mean, I won't lie. Sometimes I've, uh, sometimes I've run the, I've run the risk of losing myself to it. I mean, I did once I suffered the consequences for it and I've come back smarter, but I'm aware that there, I'm aware that there is, I'm aware that there's a risk. I'm hyper aware. One of the, one of the ways that, uh, one of the ways that I sort of subvert that, is to me sinister is um well it's not just the name of the band but it's also my name it's also the name of my stage persona sinister is a separate person he is there when it's necessary i you know i i become i become him when i hit the stage i become him when i'm in the studio when i'm you know when i'm recording when i'm when i'm writing when i'm you know around around my band you know it's a, and it's a it's a ritual for me it's not just you know it's it's not just a name there's a whole thing there's the there's the black eye makeup and then the and then the red uh the red, the red eyes that yeah, yeah that i that i Freaky. put in for it's, cool. it's cool so uh, i guess a way to and I mean, this could, I mean, this could be on, this could be on, I could be totally wrong about how I'm going about this, but I separate him from me. Like right now it's right now it's, it's Nathan Shapiro talking to you. Knox Sinister, if Knox Sinister were talking to you, he'd have the, he'd have the eye makeup, he'd have the, he'd have the red eyes. And I don't think he would be talking 
that much about control because his whole thing is that he his whole thing is that he likes to surrender himself to to the madness surrender himself to the uh to the depravity and to the uh to the hedonism but you know creating a degree of separation between myself and between him helps me sort of it helps me sort of balance things out um and you know sometimes i mean if, you know forgive me for sounding crazy but sometimes i have to sometimes in my own head i have to lecture him a little bit <laughs> well listen yeah. i i love, I love, me, I love crazy okay i i, I never <laughs> I, I don't invite normal people onto my show everyone on the show including myself is just a little little crazy at the very very minimum so um never apologize for being crazy especially in this in this platform but i wanted to say you said something earlier. I want to back up. You said you have lost yourself before. What does that mean? What's the story there? What did you mean you lost yourself? Chasing the dragon in an attempt to ease pain. And just, I mean, like we said before, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, chasing that lifestyle to an unsustainable, to an unsustainable degree, hanging out with the wrong people, making, you know, making the wrong choices, Doing things that you yourself know you don't because I've had, you know, I've had I've had moments where it's just like I'm partying or whatever and I'm in a club and I'm, you know, and I'm and I I just have to say to myself is like, wait a minute. I hate this. I don't want to be here right now. What am I doing? This is it being I, I guess losing yourself is being dishonest to yourself to chase something that you think you want in an attempt to mask pain. That is, that, that is what I, that is what I feel losing yourself is. And uh, I, and I've, I've certainly, I've certainly been guilty of it. And, you know, it is sinister before and at times can be seen as a way, it can be seen as a way to, you know, to, to lose yourself. And certainly when I started the, when I started, when I started the project, I was in a very, uh, I was in a very, very bad headspace. I was, uh, I know I was going, I was going through a lot. I was in a, I was in a great amount of pain. I was in the middle of feeling like my world had basically been turned upside down. And so I was leaning into, I was leaning into that lifestyle, leaning into that character a little more, um, making, making more decisions as, you know, as that, you know, as this character, this, you know, this, this knock sinister, persona that I've that that I've created for myself making more decisions as him and I I I made a considerable amount of mistakes but um you know that's I guess that's I guess that's life Uh, and it's it's interesting to it's interesting to see myself like after after making mistakes with the whole rock and roll lifestyle with sinister, all that to see myself coming back to it. I don't see it as, I I don't see it as not having learned anything. I see it as having learned something. And this time, cause it makes me happy. Sinister makes me happy. This is something that I'm very passionate about, something that means a lot to me. And just because, um, you know, just because my own emotions have, led me astray and have used sinister as a vehicle to lead myself astray that doesn't mean i'm going to give up on sinister that means i'm going to make sinister better make sinister healthier make sinister more sustainable a healthy uh, you know create a healthier balance between myself and between sinister finding that balance is definitely important i just want to say thank you for your vulnerability on that and i can oh, tell you right now that you know my life is riddled with 
plenty of mistakes. Right. I think I think everyone everyone has a, a whole series of mistakes that uh that they make. In fact, I'm I'm just thinking of a few mistakes right now that just kind of scream at me in my face, you know. Yeah. From from this year alone, and I think everyone who's listening can relate to that. Where they're thinking of a few key mistakes they made this year. Everyone has a yearly uh, list of fuck ups, for lack of a better yeah. term, that they've had, you know. And um, you know it's gonna happen. In fact, I I just um last week uh, I had a few different meetings with two different people in which I admitted my fuck ups to. Yeah. Um, one was with, uh, this girl got, we got, we got a dinner together and I, I paid for her meal and I, I apologized for something I said to her. And then this weekend I met up with another guy who, you know, I admitted, I, I admitted my wrong for not telling him of his mistakes any sooner than he had made them. And so for a long time I had dragged him on not admitting what he had done wrong. And because of that, he was not able to work on himself. So, and and these were things that they both called me out for. And I, I, you know what, there's at least now a certain mutual respect from that line of communication. Yeah. You know, I I don't know, you know, having a podcast therapeutic for me too. I don't just bring people on here to practice some form of therapy. I, I, I genuinely look at this as therapy myself. No, yeah, no. That's why I've been sticking to it for three years, man. Right now, yeah. it's 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 a fantastic feeling. Yeah. So, and that's sort of what the, that's what the music is for me. The music is the music is a kind of therapy for me. It's for expressing the, it's for expressing that it's for expressing that darkness, leaning into that darkness because there's so many people are um, so many people are afraid of themselves, and you know I think it just comes from. Uh, I think it just comes from, I think we very much live in a culture where the majority of people are incapable of being alone. I see it a lot with, um, I see it a lot with people my age. I saw it a lot in, I saw it a lot in college. I continue to see it a lot in life where I see people that are incapable of being by themselves. Um, and I think it's cause, um, you know, we're scary our own demons are scary. They're our own, our own, our own demons are, are, are very, you know, very present and they're very real and they're very much a part of us. And I feel like either people either don't want to, uh, be, people don't want to take the time to be with themselves to discover it or, uh, or admit it or, um, but I, I think it's, I think it's something that we very much can't deny. And that's what, you know, we all have, a we all have a shadow and that's, that's that's the thing is that you know sinister is sinister is my shadow but rather than running from him rather than being afraid of him and you know does you know does does he scare me sometimes of course uh, you know we're how can he not but the way that i make it work is that i i lean into him and i i, I say hey this is what we're going to do we're going to turn you into we're going to turn you into something productive all that darkness that's uh, that's in us that's why sinister is uh, the sinister is the expression and and the, and the celebration of evil that's that's really what that's that's what the music that's what the music is is that um you know the last line and uh, one of the last lines in the tyrant is hail to the kings of hail to the kings of evil and what what that's sort of what that's sort of about is just, you know, celebrating our evil, celebrating our darkness and, you know, admitting that it is, that it is a part of us and that there is a part of it that is 
there is a part of it that is productive to us. And there's a part of it that's, you know, that's, that's very natural. I love villains. Villains are, uh, villains are a huge part of, of what I do. Knox Sinister, I consider him to be, you know, a, a, I consider him to be just a real live supervillain. That's, that's what he is. And he is, his evil plan is trying to take over the world through, through his music. And a lot of our songs are about famous villains. Uh, Something Wicked is about Macbeth. Utterly Contemptibly is about, um, is actually about the character that I took my name from. Uh, there's this, uh, there's this villain in the X-Men comics called Mr. Sinister. And he's this crazed, um, he's this crazed geneticist obsessed with, uh, with reaching, uh, with, with reaching the, the peak of, of, of mutant potential and creating the, you know, the, the perfect, you know, the perfect, most powerful mutant being. And he just, he, he loves cloning. That, that's his, he, he, he's got a real hard on for cloning, but, um, you know, utterly contemptibly, one of the songs on our album is about him. So a lot of our songs are about celebrating evil, about celebrating the impulses that we have that are evil and giving them, you know, giving those, giving those impulses and those urges and those feelings, because they're real feelings, giving them the release that they need. Because if we repress, because uh, if we repress it, then uh, if we repress it, then we are unhealthier people. And I see it all the time. People that are afraid of their own darkness and afraid of their own dysfunctions, afraid of their shadow, afraid of their mess, as it's called in, um, I took a clowning class in college and like people that are afraid of their mess, um, they don't have, they typically don't have the strength to carry themselves through life. And they're typically also people that, you know, really that can't necessarily take criticism either. It's so the more you're afraid of yourself, the more you're afraid of your darkness, the less you lean into your, your darkness or your, your, you know, your evil reflection. I, I I think the more ill-equipped you are to handle life because, you know, life is dark, life is evil. And I think sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to use it. It's powerful, you know, at, at least for me. What a great concept. I love, I love, the concept of, of carrying your mess and being able to face your mess, uh, wisdom from clowning school, which I didn't know of that about you, by the way, that's actually pretty, um, it was one of the best classes I ever took. Yeah, I bet. I was going to say, I think that one of the most beautiful things about heavy metal and, and all the subgenres that come with it, kind of what you're saying is that it gives the listener the permission, not only to face that mess that you described, but also to interact with it and be a part of it and just be yeah. evil for the night. And, yeah, and yeah. It, it, nowhere else in the world do we get that permission to be that crazed and that deep into these, for lack of better terms, sinister emotions that we face, you know, that anger, the sadness, yeah. the, the, the fear that you let them yeah. rise in you and you dance it out, you scream it out, you, you know, head bob it out, whatever it is. Right. But yeah. you are a part of that experience. And, 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 you know, that's why I really wanted you on the show because I knew it would be unique to have you on the show. I think you're the first heavy metal singer we've had on this no, podcast. I'm really, really pumped about that. No, yeah, no, I'm I'm pumped to be here. Because I'm a very much nonlinear person, I want to go back one more time. I want to talk about childhood you had because you talked about the difficulty. Right. I mean, what was so difficult about it? I was a weird kid. That's, I mean, you know, plain and simple. I was just, uh, I moved around a lot. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't proper, properly socialized. Uh, my family life was uh, slightly difficult, though it was actually kept from me. My parents got divorced and didn't tell me about it for, for a while. They didn't um, tell you about their own divorce? 
Yeah, it kind of it kind of it kind of flew over my head for a bit, but that's that's neither here nor there. But like, I just had difficulty. Uh, I had difficulty interacting with other kids. I just didn't know how to. I wasn't good at it. And I grew up at a time where comics and science fiction and you know superheroes. I grew up at a time where it was very much uncool. So now to see these comic book movies and you know all these you know comic book properties being such a hot ticket item is kind of it's. I'm honestly kind of still in, in, in disbelief about it uh, because I grew up and you got made fun of for this stuff. But now I can't afford my key issues because the movies are driving the prices of these books up so much. Uh, so it's a it's a double edged sword for me or it's just like I don't get made up for liking comics anymore, but also comics are more expensive now. And, uh, you know, I, I remember I was. Uh, I was collecting. I was collecting Black Panther, uh, the the two the two thousand three Reginald Hudlin run of Black Panther for a while, and I remember when the movie was announced. And I was just like, "Oh God, I got to get these issues fast. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to. Uh, otherwise, it's just like I'm not going to be able to find them anywhere." And now with Moon Knight becoming a major series, I'm like, "Well, great. Now all the Moon Knight issues that I need to collect are going to be driven through the roof." Luckily. I have a Moon Knight number one. It's you know it's 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 on my wall. It's uh, I'm very glad that I managed to scoop this thing up when I did. But getting Werewolf by Night thirty three or thirty four, I can't remember the exact number, but I know it's Werewolf by Night uh, the thirty something. I'm, I'm, I'm see guys, uh, see guys. <laughs> this is an example of people being imperfect. I couldn't correctly called the collection of William Shakespeare correctly and and Nathan couldn't figure that out. I just want to point that out. I just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly. Okay, continue Nathan. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. But getting in a getting a copy of that getting a copy <laughs> of werewolf, that werewolf by night issue is gonna be a pain in the ass now because the <laughs> Moon Knight series is coming out on Disney Plus and yes I am excited to see Moon Knight on the screen. I, I think I, he's a character that I've loved for so long and a lot of people think he's just a, a pastiche of Batman, which is couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, he's, a, I think he's a he, Moon Knight's a fascinating character all all his own. Oddly enough, I do like DC better than I like Marvel. I know that's an unpopular opinion these days, but you know, as an OG fan of the comics, I just I just think I just think DC is better. But I do I do have my collection of Marvel heroes that I love very much, and Moon Knight is very much one of those characters. I wrote an essay about him in college in one of the best classes I ever took. <laughs> Are you excited for the new Batman coming out? I am actually. I'm. I'm very excited. Uh, I normally, what I, my thing is, is that everything is being rebooted and remade to death, and I'm sick of it. Um, I honestly prefer. You know, I think Tobey Maguire's Spider Man is the best Spider Man, and we never should have strayed from his light. I mean, with the exception of Spider Man, Spider Man Three only turned out the way it did because the studio interfered with Sam Raimi's vision, and that that I think is the problem with a lot of superhero movies now is that the studio is the studios are so involved in them now, um, and that's the pro that was the problem with superhero movies getting so big is that now they're a big studio project. Now a lot of directors aren't having like you know like uh. Uh, well, uh, Edgar Wright was supposed to direct the first Ant-Man movie, and I was excited for that because Edgar Wright's an amazing director. He's got an amazing creative yeah, vision. Yeah, how did I not know that? The, well, you didn't know that because the studio interfered with the project so much, and he walked off. You know, he 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 ended up not doing it because you know the studio had their hands in it. That's the pro- that that is one of my problems with comic books becoming so hot now is because because they're so hot, they are now open up to 
and look, it's great that people are getting into comics. I love that people are getting into comics, but being a part of a being being in the eye of a wider audience has its problems now because there is well for for two reasons because the because you have a wider net because you have a larger guaranteed audience you don't need to be as careful anymore when making these movies because people are going to see them anyway you're bearing you're basically guaranteed a certain amount of money when you're making these comic book films and also two um you know, the studios don't want them to be, you know, different. They want them to be sort of uniform. That's my problem with a lot of the Marvel films is that they're very, they're very similar. Do I still see them? Of course, because as a comic book fan, it's cool to even see these characters on the screen. Like Eternals, I thought was a very eh movie. I, I didn't even bother. Any... Yeah. That said, though. I still was at the point where I was just like, wow, we got to see the Eternals on screen and we got to see Dane Whitman, who is this character called Black Knight. Um, I was like, we got to see Dane Whitman on screen and we got to see, you know, in the post credit scene, the Ebony Blade whispering to him. I was just like, as a Black Knight fan, I was just like, all right, this movie was kind of piss poor, but at least I kind of got to see that. That's cool. But um, the reason I'm excited for the new Batman movie is because it looks like the director had just his it's it looks like his full creative vision it looks like it's a movie that is not bogged down by studio interference it looks like dc just let matt reeves go ham and tell the batman story that he wanted to tell visually yeah, and, and visually it looks stunning just the the visuals from the trailer, it looks like it's shot really well and it's shot really artistically and it's not shot like your typical superhero movie. It looks a lot like a lot of the a lot of the movies that I like have, you know, shot composition and color palette like that. Movies like uh, Mandy, Dread, uh, Color Out of Space, Sunshine, Arch Enemy, um, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, Suspiria, all that. Uh, you know, those are some of my favorite movies and it looks like it could be in the realm of the, this Batman movie looks like it could be within the realm of those movies. And it doesn't look like your typical comic book movie. Uh, so that's, I am told it's like a gritty three hour long detective story. And I couldn't be more excited for that because what I love about Batman is that there are so many aspects of the character to explore. The reason that he's being adapted so many times. And the reason that there are so many stories to tell about Batman is that there are always different avenues to explore with the character. Now Batman has long been my favorite Batman has long been my favorite character in in comics since I was since I was a kid. In fact, I think that's I think part of the reason that I was always drawn to, you know, the the darker things in life was because I grew up with this fascination about Batman or maybe or maybe the reason I was drawn to Batman was because there was always something in me that was drawn to the drawn to the darker things in life. But Batman played a a very heavy role in uh in my childhood and 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 continues to now. I mean, you know, I uh, one of my pipe dreams is to eventually play Batman in, in something, whether it's an animated film, a live action film. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I'd like to play Batman at some point. And that sounds wonderful. I, I, I could <laughs> that'd be pretty sick, I got to say. And I, the, the whole entire time where you're talking, one thing I, I do want to talk about is the fact that Robert Pattinson, I think, is this actor that has gone through this entire journey where, like, he started out his career on Twilight 
in yeah. kind of this movie that never was really taken seriously that people automatically made fun of that had its own niche following that got he, some he hates it and he hates it right but yeah. since then we've seen him and also Kristen Stewart by the way we've seen oh, yeah. both of these oh, yeah. actors go on this incredible journey in such a fantastic way and so seeing Robert Pattinson now uh take on this role and, yeah. and I think the yeah. role before that was Lighthouse Oh, Lighthouse was fantastic. I still need to see it's Lighthouse, but I, I really oh, want to. I highly, rec- I highly recommend it. I, it's I've, one of my favorite movies I've ever I, seen. I've heard so many wonderful things about it. I, I feel so out of the loop. I have not seen that movie, but um, it's it's fan it's fantastic to see these two grow in such a way. Oh yeah, and and I suspect that there's going to be a parallel with your life and the career that you're taking, the way that you find balance in the chaos i hope so <laughs> we can only we can we can only hope uh you know it's just uh you know I, the way i see it is just that i come up with you know i come up with uh, funny little songs and my only uh, my only hope is that people will sing along it's funny actually uh, we were talking about march of the tyrant earlier i just wanted to sort of pivot back to that to the the way that i wrote that was the funniest thing i was as all as as all great thoughts uh, emerge, I was in the shower, um, and I just I had this idea. I, I, I had this idea. I was just like, oh, man, I want to write a song that's literally just like the march to war, the king, like the tyrant king's anthem. You know, something something to fly your banners to. And then this little riff came in my head. This you know this this intro this. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. And then I kind of came up with these like dummy lyrics to go with it. Just like, I think one of the first lyrics that I wrote for that song was just like, you know, a tyrant has no equal and hail to the kings of evil. Um, and then I booked it out of the shower. I was like, I've got to like make a little recording of this so that I don't forget it. Because if I forget this, because if I forget this, it's gone, it's nowhere. And I was just like, I think I was just like, I feel like I struck gold here. So I, so I put down a little voice note and then I remembered it. And then I just kept toying with it. I kept writing lyrics to it. And then I, ba- uh, until I basically had wrote the whole, like, until I wrote all the lyrics of the song and like, sometimes when I write a song, I have an idea of exactly of how I want it to sound. And sometimes I'm just writing words. But yeah, but with this one, I knew exactly how I wanted it to sound. So I, what I did was I went into, uh, I went into a uh, garage band and then I, 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 what I did was I would message, uh, at the time, at the time it was just me, my producer and our guitarist. Uh, so I would message, uh, our producer, Matt Vince and our guitarist who goes by the stage name of nobody, uh, he officially does not, uh, he, he does not have a public identity. He doesn't, uh. You know, he, 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 he comes on, he wears, he wears his executioner. So he comes on, he plays guitar, then he goes and then he, then he disappears. Um, but, uh, so I would send it to them and then I was like, I kind of, I, I kind of had this idea for like a, for like a song, you know, you know, let's, let's, let's do this. And then, uh, and then what I did was I hummed an, I hummed the entire track. I created a, an audio file with multiple tracks where I would, I hummed the guitar part and then I sang the lyrics over it and I was like, okay, this is how I want it to sound. Can we do something like this? Two days later, I get a message from Vince, uh, who does the orchestra, who does the orchestrations for, um, for a lot of our tracks. Cause a lot of our stuff has like orchestral elements to it. That's the thing that we, that's the thing that we, that those are the two tenets of Sinister are theatricality and aggression. 
we want it to be like very violent musical theater. Um, so he gets back. So he gets back to me with that, and he sends me he sends me this this beautiful orchestration, and then I hear the riff for the first time, and I'm just thinking, this is exactly what I had in mind. This is exactly what I wanted, and then I booked a I I, I drove from Oregon back to L.A to record uh, to record this and and the other songs and uh, this was the song that I was most excited about and this is the song that I you know that I hope sticks with people because it's this this song is it is this song very much encapsulates who we are that's you know that's um that, that the march of the tyrant is is our anthem uh I totally forget what we were talking about before that to uh to pivot to this but I, I just I, I felt I, I wanted to tell the story about how that song came to be. I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing. Well, Nathan, you've been incredibly vulnerable on this podcast. You've come here and you know really just put your heart out there in this amazing way. And we're, we've talked a lot about evil, but I think the love you have for evil and the, the, the dichotomy you have for that is is beautiful. So, Nathan. I think- Life is just life is just dichotomy. Life is con- life is contradiction. Life is is balance. You can't have good without evil, and that's why you know that's why I encourage people to lean in. You know, I encourage people to lean into their evil because I think they'll be happier for it. Nathan, if people wanted to get a hold of you and listen to your music, where's the best place to do so? Well, you can go to knocksinister.com. It is our website. It has links to all of our to all of our music. You can follow us on Instagram at knocksinister. That's where we post about all of our shows and all of our music. And uh, you know, you can find us on Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Deezer. We are on every single streaming platform out there. But uh, the you know the easiest way to get to all of that is is knocksinister.com. Uh, you know, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music. You know, buy our stuff on Bandcamp. Uh, we have a we have a we have an online store uh, as well, where the the link to our the link to our online store is on uh, is on our website. Let me see if I can pull up the link real fast because I forget it. Um, it is. Uh, it is sinister-shop.myspreadshop.com. We have all kinds we have all kinds of merch there, but you know, go to knocksinister.com, find uh find us on Spotify, find us on Instagram, Facebook. We're also on Twitter. I don't know how to use Twitter, but we're on there too. Um and that's where you can find us. We are literally everywhere. Just search Knox Sinister on pretty much anything and you'll find us. N O X Sinister. Excellent. All that information will be displayed in the show notes of this episode. And finally, Nathan, the question I ask everybody, everybody on this podcast, what will you be famous for? What will I be famous for? You know, it's funny. It's funny. We talk, uh, you know, talking about this, this art and uh, all this art and all of that, but I don't have an easy answer to this question. What I'll be famous for is for being the real life supervillain that people need in their life and for creating music that allows people to feel like the very best supervillain that they themselves can be. That's what I'll be famous for. Mm-hmm.
Nathan Shapiro, everyone. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. This is an absolute blast, man. And uh, I can't wait for your next show coming up soon. Also, also one thing Nathan didn't mention on the show is that he was actually at one of our networking events and he performed uh, he performed at it with one of with his band Knox Sinister and it was epic. Everyone was really into it and it was all for a fundraiser for uh, a documentary called Teacher of Patience, which is one of our volunteer committee members. uh, documentaries and um, it helped. We, we helped raise $300 that night for the documentary. So, uh, really do want to thank you, Knox Sinister, and of course, uh, all that you've done. So, rock on. Thank you for listening. This podcast releases bi weekly on Fridays. To attend one of our networking events, visit the registration link in the show notes or go to www.mrthrive.com. Would you like to be a guest on our show? Email chaz at mrthrive.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you.